Sales is an amazing profession. We have an impact on people and every day something's being sold. Life's about helping somebody else and bringing value. It's about integrity. It's about honesty. It's about humility. Are we positively impacting somebody else's life? That's the voice of sales training expert, Steve Haru. Steve has reached the pinnacle of success in multiple sales industries. As a Cutco rep in college, Steve was the company's number one college All-American. Later with Aflac, Steve was number one out of over 50,000 representatives nationwide. His style is based on conviction, honesty, and working on his craft. And today he teaches these and other concepts through coaching, speaking, and writing. In this conversation, Steve offers his insights into how to succeed in sales today. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. My guest today is Steve Haru, and Steve is a leading authority on providing cutting-edge strategies on selling in today's marketplace. Uh, he worked in Cutco and Vector for about six years, to 1996 through about 2001. During that time, Steve was actually the number one college student sales rep during one of our campaigns. He was number one All-American while going to school at Bentley College, now Bentley University. Uh, Steve sold about $250,000 during his time selling Cutco. He advanced into management for a short time with us as well. And since then, Steve has had widespread success in multiple sales industries over the past 20 years or so. Today, he teaches his insights through sales coaching and through keynote speaking. He is the CEO and founder of Victory Selling. He also wrote a book called Sales is Not a Dirty Word. And he really wants to advance the world of professional selling based on principles like integrity and honesty and humility. He has a lot of great stuff to share on sales, on leadership, and on dealing with the current challenge we're facing right now. So I'm excited to have him as a guest. Steve Haru, thanks so much for making time for the podcast. Thanks, man. Excited uh, when we first connected. Again, I'm just uh, pumped to be able to share some some cool things with your audience and obviously... Uh, our fellow Cutco alums. So thanks again for having me on, man. Great, great. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to this conversation. And Steve, I want to open up by talking about what's happening right now, because 
we're dealing with a uh, truly a once in a lifetime type of situation for most people. And it is greatly affecting salespeople. What I'm seeing in the Cutco world is that there are salespeople who are taking the challenge directly head on. They're excited about innovating and finding new ways to still hit their goals. There are other salespeople who are sort of following a little bit in that wake. And there are some who kind of have their heads in the sand and are, you know, hoping this stuff ends pretty fast. What's happening in your world during this pandemic? I mean, I think uh, a lot of that's true. We see so many times that people don't really seem to understand that what happens to them is happening to all of us. And one of my influencers early on, Jim Rohn, which I'm sure you know, and I wish I'd have got a chance to meet him before he passed away. He says, what happens happens to us all, right? It's what we do about what happens to us that matters. And so many people, you know, they've been given lemons and they decide to make lemonade. Other people decide to make limoncello, which is what I do. And so other people just say, what do you want me to do with these lemons? I don't even like lemons. So it's just funny to see the perspective of salespeople, how you have some people who view this pandemic and all this extra time as time to get better, time to improve, time to hone their skills, become masterful. And that's what I'm teaching, again, a lot of my students, a lot of my clients is this is the off season right now. And what people don't really understand is the off-season is when champions are made. I just talked about on on the last two coaching calls with clients about the last dance. And if you guys are not watching the last dance, or by the time you hear this recording, go back and watch it on ESPN about the Bulls and Michael Jordan. It is just the most awe-inspiring documentary you can watch. And even if you don't like sports, there's so many lessons in leadership and having a championship mindset. Now's the time you got to be in the gym shooting a thousand jumpers. Now's the time you got to be lifting the weights, doing your agility, because when it comes time for the NBA finals, are you going to make that shot? Mm -hmm. You cannot just wait until things get back to normal because all your competition's been in the gym. They've all been shooting and you've been sitting on your butt. So that's the message I'm giving to all my students and clients now and friends. It's like, let's use the time we're given. This is a gift. The way that I see it, right, is we now have extra time. Whether people want to believe that or not, right, that's on them. Yeah, for sure, for sure. That's just such a great way of looking at this challenge. I know that one of the things that we're obviously trying to get people to do is to figure out what they can actually be doing right now to you know still make the sales and still hit their goals. And that certainly is possible for a lot of people. But I think just acknowledging for many people that, hey, what we've been put into is the off season right now. That for you know for a, a Cutco rep, for example, who works primarily events with large crowds and things like that, like those are all gone. Right. Right. And so right. they're gonna they're gonna try to replace those sales through some other ways. And we're giving them tools and ideas about how to do that. But I think it's okay for some people to acknowledge that, hey, maybe I'm not going to hit all the sales numbers I set out to do this year. But if I use this time correctly, I can do better in the future. You'll make it because I was preparing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We're so we're in the same position, guys, right? There's not a lot of companies that just are freewheeling checks to hire me to speak and do sales training and all that stuff. One of the cool things that just happened, I just got approved as a Vistage speaker. So 
that was something I'd been working on for quite a long time and it finally got approved, but I can't go and speak and do talks. But what can I do? I can do virtual talks and virtual workshops and virtual meetings. And so I've really upped my game and practiced and how to be more engaging, how to make sure I'm, I'm looking at the camera, not down here, right? Which is mo what most people do. And you got to improve the skill sets, right? That are applicable today. Consumers are more savvy. They need more communication. Value needs to be built more. Um, it's just a lot different, you know, than it was even six months ago. So you got to switch, right? right? Language, verbiage, cadence, everything has to change. There's so much to be said for learning how to virtualize a lot of different elements of what we used to do in the past. And I think that's something that applies to pretty much every sales business and really any person who's listening to this podcast can think about how can they virtualize some of the elements of what they were doing in the past. I heard somebody say that like everything that's not, that was not sustainable is collapsing right now. And if there's some element of your business that collapses completely, maybe it wasn't sustainable in the first place. And like you're being forced to evolve right now and find new ways of doing things. As a result, of course, a lot of us right now have been working at home. And I'm wondering, like, do you have, you're talking to a lot of salespeople. What advice do you have about being productive while somebody is working at home? So we, I just had this conversation with the Aflac team I'm coaching. And we talked about that same situation, people at home with the kids and spouses and so on. And if you don't build boundaries, if you don't sit down and have the talk, and I don't mean that talk with your kids, I mean, you know, <laughs> the talk about mom's, you know, off duty now, right? Dad's not accessible, right? We have to set expectations, right, with families, or else it's going to be chaos. And if the kids think that they could just go play with mom and dad all hours of the day, you have no shot. And I empathize with that. I understand. I don't have kids, right? So I luck out in the fact that I could do whatever I want and be productive. But I do understand families and spouses, it's a really difficult situation, but you can make it much simpler if you set ground rules, right? And if you can have, you know, office hours where dad's working, but daddy'll be done at 10, we'll take a break, we'll go out and play, right? Mom's working, but we're going to have dinner at 7, you know, whatever. You have to have that heart-to-heart -heart with your family because things have changed. But there's a lot of people, believe it or not, who are more productive now at home than they were when they were at their office. Yeah, I believe that for sure. Yeah, I totally believe that there's a lot of people who are more productive. Now, there's so many benefits to not having to commute, not having oh to, God. you know, yeah. even like not having to necessarily get dressed up the way we used to for going, you know, somewhere else and being able to have your, you know, like I, I just went to my house and had lunch real quick and came back, you know, out to my oh, yeah. home office. And like, you can do things a lot faster and more easily when you're working at home. So there are a lot of advantages for sure. I like what you said about building yeah. boundaries. I think that really applies to having kids. And admittedly, it's very tough to have with, the really, with the really young kids. Like yeah, my, oh yeah. my three-year-old. They don't know. They just need that, right? Right. My three-year-old is going to come distract us when he distracts right. us. But my yeah. six-year-old understands, right? Like I can, I have a home office that I built that's outside my house. And so it's oh, got a big cool. sliding glass door with a screen door. And I've told her like, if the glass door is shut, right, that means I'm not available, right? You can't come in. If, if you see that the screen door is the one that's shut, you can come in 
you can come talk to me, you can come ask me a question and that's fine. Yeah. And for the most part, she abides by that. And so that's a simple boundary we've built here. I have a pretty good setup to be able to do that. Not everybody has that same kind of setup with where they work, but just right. the idea of expressing boundaries to people. You also talked about setting expectations, and I think this is key as well, right? Because my wife and I are both working at home, and yet we've got two kids, and we're trying to balance that while we're here. So on a daily basis, we communicate to each other, hey, these are the times where I have yes. a Zoom meeting that is non-negotiable, non-flexible, these are the times where I'm going to be working, but I could be interrupted. And these are the times where I'm basically flexible, right? I can 100%. come in, I can do whatever needs to be done. So we sort of understand that about each other's schedules on a daily basis. And I think that really helps people be productive at home as well. And if you're doing that, again, on a daily basis, I have a friend, decorated SEAL Team 3, got like really successful Navy SEAL, multiple tours, all that. He's got a wife, three kids, but every day, every morning, right? They go over each other's schedule every morning and say, Hey, honey, you know, I've got a 10, a 12, and a three. I'm going to take the kids, you know, to the park at 11. You've got a nine, a, you know, two and a four. And then if you can help with dinner and vice versa, and they do it every morning, every day. So they know exactly what, when each other's busy, when we're free, when we can go for a walk, when we can take the dogs out, when we can, be with the kids and they're doing great but every day right they're doing it it's not right. just let's figure it out yeah exactly it can't be a let's figure this out no. method so ex clear expectations and communication building boundaries that was all really good stuff and for salespeople, for any business person who may not feel like they're going to achieve what they were doing in the past viewing the off-season opportunity right? As a chance for them to grow their skills, to pull the slingshot yeah. back, right? So that when patience the opportunity is, is released, yeah. they can crush it, right? Patience is a virtue as we know, but it's, it's really important now, guys and gals that you're listening to this. We, and listen, I understand. I know people need to earn a living. I know they need to make sales. I, I know that, but we have to be conscientious. That's the word, right? That is the word of the day. How can we adjust our goals and how can we come from more of a, a service-oriented position? And if I were in Cutco right now, what I'd be doing is, one, I'd be calling all my clients, right? Um, all my customers would be, I'd be on the phone with a lot. Second thing is I'd be getting referrals. That's everything I'd be doing right now. Right? I, I wouldn't really be worried about sell, sell, sell. People just aren't in that frame of mind. So I'd be thinking value, value, value. I would probably create like a virtual cooking lesson, you know, something like that. I'd create a virtual recipe share. I would do something and involve all my existing clients in to give them some value. And I'd probably do something every week. Like I'd say, okay, today we're going to learn how to use the trimmer. Next week, right, Santoku. Next week, pairing that. Like I'm just going off the cuff, but this is these are the thoughts in my head of what I would be doing now if I was still selling Cutco. Yeah, that was great. I think that some of our top people are doing exactly those things. We have oh, an yeah. interesting dichotomy, Steve, in that our for our new reps that we're training, we've actually had an increase in our results during this period of time because everything is done virtual 
if there's no barrier to entry to get an appointment, it's easier to get appointments. People are cooking at home a whole lot more. That's the big thing, guys. And, They're all at home. <laughs> yeah. And while there is a, a segment of the market that, you know, doesn't want to buy, that's profoundly affected by this in a negative yeah. sense, the typical Cutco customer is not as affected so much. And so we're selling more with our new reps, but the older reps that have been around yeah. for a lot longer that typically rely on things like fairs or shows, booths, right? Events where tens of thousands of people come through in a weekend, yeah. right? Those are the ones that are having to pivot. And, you know, hearing some of the ideas that you have, I think are, are good, good things that those types of reps can be thinking about right now. Yeah, for sure. How did you get started with Cutco? So it was freshman year of college. And uh, it was funny because from probably second grade through high school, I did not say a word. I mean, nothing, right? Afraid of people. Uh, no dates, no dances, no prom, no, nothing like that, right? And um, I saw this flyer on our desk at college. You know, it said $10 an appointment and a phone number and so on. And I called it up and I said, hey, well, I'm looking for this part-time job. What is it? And they said, oh, it's customer sales and service. And I said, uh, do I have to talk to people? Or, <laughs> uh, you know, do you have any like desk jobs or anything? And they're like, that's not really what it is. And I said, well, what, what is it? And they go, uh, we'll tell you when you get here, right? So I, I went in. There were four people in my interview. They took me last, which I didn't find out till later, right? That they saved the worst for last, right? So I, uh, <laughs> I go in last and uh, I got the job, right? And I told my parents and I got the letter and everything. And I go, hey, mom, dad, I got the job. And they go, oh, it's great, Stevie. What are you doing? I said, uh, I'm going to be selling knives. And my dad goes, uh, you're not doing that. <laughs> Why not? He goes, one, you don't talk. Two, nobody's going to buy your knives. And three, I'm not giving you the money for the knife kit, sample kit. I said, all right. <laughs> hey, mom, can I have 150 bucks? <laughs> I think it was 129 or something. You know, you probably know better than me. It's around that at the time. And of course, mom gives you the money. And so I go out my first three weeks this is over winter break, right? So I started over the winter break, first semester uh, college. And I ended up number one in all of New England. My first three weeks in the business, I made 1600 bucks and got my check, went home, told my parents. I said, hey, dad, you were right. It didn't work. And he goes, I told you it wouldn't work. And I said, uh, I'm just kidding. Here's my check. And we're from Boston. And so I got to clean it up a little bit. And he said, uh, this is from the knives. I said, yeah. He goes, uh, let me see those effing knives. <laughs> I bring out the knives. He cuts with them, uses another holy word, and goes, maybe we'll buy some of these effing things. <laughs> um, and that's when I knew. I was like, maybe I could be good at this. you know. And so that's how I started. I stayed with them through freshman, sophomore junior year, just part-time, right around school summers and so on. Right. Ran a branch, which was what a, a tremendous experience. I still remember the Norwood Mass. I still remember the location. And it's so cool because one of my assistant managers, James Arredondo, I still am friends with him to this day. Very successful sales guy, multiple six-figure guy, great kid. And he was my assistant manager, my brand. I mean, it's just Wow. It's such an amazing experience and, you know, stayed on running, uh, again, sales teams, right, for, what, two, three years after college. And what was funny, though, is my 
senior year, first semester, I quit selling Cutco. So I quit after my junior year because I just wanted to get a regular job, right? And screw around at college and not work. And so I got a job in the cafeteria and it was awful. Any of you guys have ever worked in food service? I mean, oh my God, (laughs) hundred degrees. I had to wear that stupid air net and my idiot friends would come and spill food on everything because they knew I had to clean it up. And (laughs) I remember getting my first check and it was like 87 bucks, right? For 20 hours of work. And I'm like, I used to make this in like an appointment. Like what, what am I doing? So I quit the stupid cafeteria job and I started over from scratch second semester senior year. And I ended up number one in the, in the country. Yeah. Um, that's when you're number one All-American, huh? Yeah, after a break of a year, just started yeah. over. So it's quite a story, man. Wow. <laughs> wow. Story. Yeah. That's cool. You know, the parental reaction is obviously something that a lot of people experience with Cutco because it's a different, it's a different kind of work, you know, and, uh, not everybody can can envision it at first. It was, listen, what guys, when people do that to you and many of you and and gals that are listening to this, they're not doing it because they want you to fail. They're doing it because they're trying to protect you from failing. It Mm -hmm. comes from a place of love. It's not a place of hate or anger or fear or whatever. They just, they want the best for you. So I don't, hold them responsible. They're my biggest supporters now. They, they talk about it all the time, right? And they still have the ultimate set I won. It's still in their place in Florida, right? So it, it was just, uh, I don't hold anything against them for doing it. They're just trying to protect me, but they're yeah. you know, obviously very proud now. Yeah. It's interesting that you say that, that when people try to hold us back from something, people who we love, who love us, try to hold us back from something, it's usually yeah. because they just don't want us to experience a failure. Right. And in reality, what I think is such an important paradigm shift for everybody to make who's listening to this podcast is that we should put ourselves in positions where we are exposed to experiencing failure. That yeah. that is how we learn and grow and get better and improve. If everything was always easy, we would never achieve high heights in anything that we're doing. We would never achieve high value in no. anything we're doing. So that's why that's I what, don't like the participation trophies. Yep, correct. For sure. So it sounds like uh, you had a lot of great experiences and, and lessons that came out of your time yep. with Cutco. Lifelong friends, which again, there is no ROI for that, guys. There's just not. Yeah. Forget about what it did for me professionally, but being able to have friends to this day, James Aradano, Chris Malapores, right? All these guys, Mike Monroe. It's still friends. Sarah Fury, Mike Myrtle lives out here. I mean, it's just, it's awesome to have had that experience. Yeah. What you're teaching a lot of people about the skills necessary to succeed in selling, to succeed in life in general. You know, what are some of the skills you feel like you gained during your days in Cutco that you use to this day that you think are really necessary for success in any endeavor? Honesty was, was my secret weapon. And I think that's what people related to. Because, you know, listen, guys, they're expensive. I don't care. You could say the term and all, whatever, right? They're not inexpensive, but nothing worth anything is cheap. Nothing. We need to be proud of it. If you're just honest and you believe with with a passion in what you do, it's not hard. I I use Cutco, I mean, six times a day. It's funny. I was trying to figure out how I got this callus here. 
and it's from the Santoku because and I use I I just told Eric Gilman I was like because I love that knife by the way is it freaking amazing knife be honest and have passion you know for what you do don't be worried about the price it's, it's people get too tied up in that right yeah awesome so honesty passion and conviction definitely yeah. some key skills it takes for people to do well if you don't believe in, in in your soul what you're selling it doesn't matter you'll never ever reach your full potential that you could if you were selling something you had a passion yeah awesome awesome so tell us a little bit about your path after cutco steve so after Cutco, again, did very well, and I wanted to take a little bit of a break again, right? Got burnt out again, not because of Cutco, because I really worked my butt off. And I actually got a job at a rider truck place, like renting trucks at a counter. I, I lasted two weeks. I'm like, I, I don't want a boss. I don't like getting a paycheck. I'm done with this. So I said, let me just go play golf. So. I got a job as a bag boy at Cohasset Country Club so I could play free golf. So I didn't care about 10 bucks an hour. I just wanted to play golf and practice. So I got down to like a 3-5 handicap because I was playing all the time. And all these men and women that were playing, I'd have to get their bag, of course, from the room. And I said, don't you guys have to work? You know, like you're 30. I mean, they have jobs and most of them were in insurance. And so that's mm -hmm. kind of what put it in my head. And then I went to a job fair and the last booth was Aflac. And you guys know the duck on TV and so on. Right. So the guy sees my resume and he goes, Cutco knives. He goes, you made money selling Cutco knives? I go, uh, yes, sir. Quite a, quite a lot. He goes, wait a second. You did really well. I'm like, yes, sir. He goes, man, if you did that, you can do Aflac. And he told me about what Aflac did and what really got me was the cancer policy, right? And I'm like, wait a second, you give money to families that are going through cancer? I'm like, we just went through that, my family, and we could have used that. And so from the get-go, again, I knew I could sell this to people because I know how much it would have helped us. So that's how I started with Aflac. And mm. so that was 2003. 14 years later, man, I was you know blessed enough to make it to number one in Aflac as well. Um, which is probably one of my, you know, biggest accomplishments to uh, outdo fifty thousand agents. But that was my career, and it was it was amazing. It helped so many people, so many families, thousands of people that we were able to touch their lives in a positive way, and ran sales teams for them as well, and and was able to reach the pinnacle of success in that company too. So outstanding. That was, that was my career. Yeah. So what led you into forming your own sales training company? So I, toward the end of my Aflac career, it was almost like, well, what's next? Like I kind of felt like, okay, accomplished a lot, been there, done that. Now I want to help more people, not just inside of one company, but I want to help a lot of other people. And I had seen, again, I follow Jim Rohn and, and Simon Sinek and a lot of these you know, thought leaders. And I, I was like, I want to do that. So that's kind of what put it in my head. And I ended up leaving Aflac in, in late 2017 and said, I'm just going to build my own thing. And so that's kind of was the birth of, of when I started Victory Selling and had a partner at the time. And we ended up parting ways amicably because he wanted to turn it into a one-on-one -on -one thing where I wanted to turn it into more of a help lots of people thing. 
And so we parted ways and it's been good ever since. We're still friends. And I, I just, I wanted to bring something different to the table from what I saw in the sales training marketplace. Right. And there's a lot of great trainers, a lot of good people out there. But what I was seeing was the stuff they were teaching and they were trying to help, right? They're not trying to get fun by on people. It just, it, it didn't work, right? For what's happening in, in the marketplace today. Um, it was a lot of uh, the older school, the antiquated type of stuff that it, it, consumers are different today. They're much more savvy, right? Than yeah. they were even two years ago. What, what is some of the fundamental guidance that you provide to salespeople right now? Like what are your signature concepts that you teach? Probably the biggest one is what we help them discover. And, and it, it's funny when I came across this, the sales DNA test we'll talk about. Again, coming from somebody who was number one in Cutco, number one in Aflac, right? Thousands of people, you know, you feel like, okay, I'm pretty good at sales. And I gave a keynote to all of Aflac, New England. And the guy that runs it said, Steve, you got to meet my buddy. He's got this tool that'll blow your mind. And listen, I've taken all kinds of assessments and profiles and personality things and all that stuff. I didn't really buy into it because it's not about sales, right? It's about behavior or aptitude or whatnot. Mm -hmm. And I took this one. And I was floored. One, I wanted to jump off a building. That was my first uh, reaction. Because <laughs> I'm like, I'm just not that good, right? When I saw the results. But what it taught me was that I had had 20 years of success and realized I haven't even scratched the surface of my potential. And so I said, oh my God, I need to rearrange my entire company. I literally threw away all the training I had built over the past two years and rewrote everything. So the stuff that I'm teaching now is more about let's diagnose the reasons people are not successful in sales as opposed to just giving someone the remedy, right? Again, it's, it would be like a doctor, right? Recommending surgery to every patient that comes in her office. That's what I saw in the sales training space. It was just one size fits all thing. And I, we right. need to reflect inside well, what's causing me to not sell. Well, it was a lot of things, but that's what we work on with people now because they have something called the need to be liked, which is a killer. And about 90, 95% of salespeople have that need to be liked. And if they have a need to be liked, then they're not going to end up being successful because they're worried about what their prospects are, are thinking. Mm -hmm. right? they, they, when somebody pushes back as a prospect, you as the salesperson don't say what needs to be said to advance the sale because you're afraid they're not going to like you anymore. Mm. And that is something I'm seeing in tons of people who are doing the DNA test for. And just to help them realize that, it's eye-opening, right? Because we've all been taught that, right? People buy from people they like and they trust. We've been taught that for decades. But it's right. a myth. People buy when there's value. Mm -hmm. Because if your worst enemy came over to your house today and said, Hey, Dan, I, I got to get rid of my new Mercedes. Um, just give me two grand. You do it. You could hate the person, but you would do it because two grand is 
a good deal for Mercedes. So we've all been tied up into that, the, the likability thing. And, and don't get me wrong, guys, we should be likable, but it's the, the need to be likable that hurts a lot of salespeople. Right. The combination of likability and value obviously is the ultimate yes. goal. But yes. what I hear you saying is that the value side of selling is more important than the likability of the Junkie, salesperson. And that we've got to be willing to let go of that need to be liked in order to be able to say and do the right things to present the value proposition correctly to a customer. That that side of it is more important. Oh, yeah. All the top one percenters I know, the men and women that are, you know, 500,000 and above in earnings, they're all extremely likable, but they don't need to be liked. Mm -hmm. They would rather be respected. Yeah. And they they ask the tough questions, right? Yeah. It's funny that, I don't know what you said that triggered me, but we've also been taught till we're blue in the face about closing, closing, ABC, all that stuff, right? I give you a perfect analogy, and I don't know if you watch baseball or know anything about baseball, or you guys that are listening. Are you familiar, Dan? Do you follow baseball? Yes. You know, so you know what a closer is. Yes, I do. Who's the best closer in Major League history? Mariano Rivera. And I'm a Red Sox fan, and I admit that, okay? Because he was lights out. <laughs> but if Mariano Rivera was on the Orioles, he wouldn't be Mariano Rivera. You know why? Because you can't bring him in when you're down 11 to 2. Right. This is why so much of what I see out there is backwards. We're not spending our time getting great at innings 1 through 8. Mm-hmm. We're only worried about the ninth. Like, again, you could have the greatest closer on the planet, but if your other 24 players are terrible, you can't use him. Right, because you're losing. You got yes. you got to be ahead for the closer yes. to come in and do his thing, right? Yes. And uh, by the way, when you're up eleven to two, how easy is the ninth inning? Yeah. Well, you then can it's put anybody easy. in. Yeah. Right. That's closing, guys. Is when you do a great job in your demo from A to Y, right? And then Z is just great. And I, yeah. you might see this at some point. I, I put a post up on LinkedIn. It was a while back, but it was about ABC always be closing. I think not. Okay. I am anti all that stuff. So I wrote this big, long diatribe and the thing went viral, like 170,000 views. One guy said, Steve, what's the one skill? If you could teach something in, in sales, what would it be? And I said, Jeff, the one thing I would teach is for you to get good enough where your prospect says to you, how do we move forward? What's the next step? Mm. Great. How do I order? That's when you know you've done a great job. Not when you ask him some stupid closing question or some technique when they say, wow, this sounds great. What, what, how much can I buy? Can I buy sets from my parent? That's when you know you did a good job. Awesome. And that only works if you work hard in innings one through eight, not just awesome. worried about the close. I love that uh, the baseball analogy that uh, you know, really working on our craft in the sales process before getting anywhere near the you know the yeah. end of the sales process that gets yeah. us ahead. That gets us that eleven to two lead. Yeah. 
right? Take it easy for yourself. It's going to be easy at the end. Yeah. Exactly. So, and there's so like, we could really dig into what creates that. And that would be a whole nother conversation probably, Steve. But uh, that's an awesome concept for anyone to think about whether you sell Cutco or you sell something else, right? Is how can you work on your craft from A to Y to be in that position where when it comes time to make the sale, you've put yourself in a position where it's easier, not harder. So yes, sir. that's good. That's good. So, hey, your book is called Sales is Not a Dirty Word. What perceptions are you trying to debunk about sales with this book and with your work? What misperceptions, I guess I would I, say. Yeah, I think, and I, I probably answer this in a different context so you guys can get a sense of what I mean. 1975, which was before I was born, by the way, I'm not that old, but many of you were born much after that, a movie came out that completely changed the way hundreds of millions of people live their lives. And that movie was Jaws. And Jaws came out and it was about a shark, a 30 foot great white, okay, attacking people on Amity Island. Just so you guys know, there's never, ever in history, ever been a 30 foot great white ever recorded ever (laughs) okay jaws is a movie okay based on a fictional book it's not shark week it's not real hundreds of millions of people stopped going in the water in indiana (laughs) because of a perception not reality a perception Right. And what that perception's now created to this day, right? Sharks kill six of us a year. We kill a hundred million of them. Perception not good, right? Right. And so salespeople, we have that. What's the perception of salespeople? Blake from Glengarry Glen Ross. Right? right. Boiler room. Wolf of Wall Street, my goal is to completely change that around, which is why I named it sales is not a dirty word. Sales is an amazing profession. I would never, ever do it over again. Best, best decision of my life. And it's just sad to see what is happening out there. And we have an impact on people in every day. Something's being sold, right? And I don't mean the, well, in a conversation, you're, you either sell or get sold. No. That's stupid. Life is not about making a sale, okay? Life's about helping somebody else and bringing value, whether or not you sell something to them. So it's about integrity. It's about honesty. It's about humility. It's not about how much can I sell and what kind of watch can I buy? And I want that Ferrari too. And that's going to be an empty life, okay? An empty life. I brought this up to you on one of the podcasts I did and We've all heard that mantra, right? Oh, she's so good. She could sell ice to an Eskimo. (laughs) If you sell ice to an Eskimo, that doesn't make you a great salesperson. That makes you an a-hole. That's right. You cannot take pride in pulling one over on someone. Like it's, I don't know where that came from. Last time I checked, buyer's remorse isn't a good feeling for your customers. Right. (laughs) So. If you're doing things and you're leaving your demos and that's what they have, that is not good, right? So sometimes, guys, the sales we don't make are the best ones that we make because that leads to 10 other things because you weren't pushy, you weren't in their face. You didn't try to close them, right? You didn't try to ring the bell. 
you knew it wasn't right for them at the time. And so you said, hey, listen, you know, let's talk later. No, no problem at all. I've done that a million times and it's always ended up good for me on the back yep. end. Yep. And and over time, you kind of develop that sense of, you know, where that line is, I think. Yeah. I think a lot of, of new Cutco reps, they probably feel like they're at that line sooner than it really actually yeah. is there. So they could probably be encouraged to be a little more on the aggressive or assertive side. But yeah. eventually, Take if you want if you, if you yeah. to be a professional, though, you got to learn, you know, where that spot is. And, and, and you yeah. know, I just, I, I like what you said about uh, that, you know, it's, it's about bringing value to people. It's about trying to do what's in the best interest of the person you're talking to. And that's what sales and influence really is. Not a lot of these stereotypes or misperceptions uh, that you shared. Oh, yeah. So, hey, yeah. Steve, our podcast is, uh, you know, it's called Changing Lives, Selling Knives. And I'm interested to hear from you as you look into your own future. What are the ways that you aspire to change people's lives through your work or through your influence? You know, I got asked a very similar question in the last podcast. And one of the things that pop into my head the most is, are we positively impacting somebody else's life? Not, did I help them make an extra 50 grand this year? Did I help them be the number one saleswoman? That's not what drives me. We got two texts. I got two texts in the last two days from two of our students in our course, and they both just set personal sales records in their businesses in April during COVID. Mm-hmm. So that's what gives me makes me humble. And, and it's like, oh my God, like this is so cool. And people that like yourself with the book and everything, like I read the reviews of my book on Amazon and there's people on there. I don't even know who they are. These are not like, hey mom, can you write a review? You know, these are complete strangers that have said that the book has changed the way they think about selling. That's my ultimate goal. And, and that's my passion. And if you guys have that passion to change lives, the money will come. Right. If when you chase things, they run. Right. When you chase money, it runs. Okay. It's a similar thing in in business. Right. When you chase sales, you don't make sales. It's when you try not to make the sale. In baseball, if you try to hit a home run, you strike out. If you just go up and focus on having a good at bat, a good demo, out of the park. Right. Twice. So that's kind of where I think it lies right now. That's cool. And how do people take your sales DNA test, Steve? So yeah, so easy guys, salesdnatest.com. Go to it. You'll learn about all the info and how it works. I think it's such a great tool. And yeah, if anybody would like more info, I'm happy to help. Awesome. Awesome. Well, hey, Steve, thanks so much for all thanks, the value man. you have uh, shared with the audience here today. I feel like a lot of great concepts have come out. Certainly a lot of stuff that people can contemplate and chew on a little bit. And I appreciate uh, your time. Appreciate it. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, everybody. Okay. Awesome. Hey, talk to you soon, man. All right. That was Steve Haru. When I asked some of Steve's old Cutco colleagues a little bit about him, one of the things that came out was a consummate professional. And you really get that sense in listening to Steve share his insights. I really love how he framed in the current times we are in right now as potentially being the off season for many people. It's not that way for everybody. For some people, things are going crazy and business is even better than it ever was before. But it is a reality for many people that this is a tough time. 
and viewing it as the off season and preparing for the next wave of opportunity. I think that's a very powerful and constructive way of looking at what might be happening to you right now. I thought Steve had some great tips on working at home where he was talking about his Cutco experience. He said, honesty was my secret weapon and really having that belief and that conviction and being authentic is what helped him to excel as a salesperson. I do think that authenticity in selling is one of the key things that helps people to not only do well, but to attract a base of loyal customers to them who appreciate that style and want to continue doing business with them. It was great to hear how Cutco opened the door for Steve to get into Aflac. I love Steve's baseball closer analogy. That was so good right? That it doesn't matter how great the closer is the guy that comes in in the ninth inning to get the last three outs typically for a team that's winning by a small margin. And it doesn't matter how great of a closer you are if you're behind. Sorry to those of you who are Baltimore Orioles fans. If you're behind going into the ninth inning, uh, it doesn't matter how good of a closer you have, right? And then of course, if you're ahead by nine runs, right, then closing is so easy, right? You don't need to have the greatest closing skills in order to be able to make sales. And that whole idea of how well do you handle the first eight innings? How well do you handle point A to point Y of your sales process? I thought that was really insightful and something that people could ponder and think about how they can apply that in their own life. Loved Steve, his conviction of, of what an amazing profession sales really is. And I think that's a great thing to leave you with here today. So thanks very much for listening to the podcast today. Have a fantastic rest of your day. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode of Changing Lives, Selling Knives, please consider rating or reviewing us on your podcast player and hit the subscribe button so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. For access to guest bios, show notes, and other resources, visit changinglivespodcast.com. You can sign up there to receive valuable resources for free from people featured on the podcast. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. We'll be back in a few days for our next story about changing lives.